We've been talking these last few weeks about the Christmas story. We've been using the Christmas passages in order to just springboard off talking about the purposes of God and how God, when He un- unleashes a purpose or a promise in the earth, that, that there is a way that He does that, that if we can begin to see and understand and get revelation from the model of Jesus and how He came into the world, that it will help us, I think, understand a little bit of how God's working and dealing in our life. We mentioned to you several weeks ago now when we started all of this that that the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the first fruit of many. In other words, he came as the prototype. He came as, as, as the example. You know, when an automobile dealer or, or, or manufacturer uh, creates a new line of cars, they make a prototype. And nobody else has that prototype. Nobody else has that car. But they, they throw it out and they, and they take it to convention centers and they'll show their dealerships or other people who might start to sell it. They'll create a buzz with it get people interested in it, and they call that automobile a prototype. It is the first of its kind. Well, the Lord said that when he sent Jesus into the earth, certainly he came to accomplish the greatest purpose of all, and that was redemption, in order that we might be reconciled back to God the Father. But the scripture says that that he was more than that. He was this first fruit. He was this prototype. He was this example. In fact, I've even used the term template. He was the pattern by which we could look to and see how life is to be lived successfully. And, and, and don't all of a sudden write it off and say to yourself, well, you know, Jesus, you know, he was Jesus. I mean, he was very God, and, and he certainly had a, a leg up on life. I mean, I came in, you know, just fully fully human being, and so I'm a mess up, and, and you can't expect me to do like Jesus did. And all I simply say is, stop right there. Because the Bible says this, that when you open up your heart to him, and he lives in you, and you get in him. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The scripture is too clear about the measure of victory that you and I have. That we indeed have been given the ability to walk out life as that first fruit walked out life. Now, perfectly, obviously not. But yet we should be at least declaring that there is a greater understanding and revelation we can get with regards to how God wants to bring about his promise and purpose in our life. And so I began to share with you several weeks ago about how all of you are promised. Amen? Amen. You've got a promise in God right now. I don't care who you are, where you came from, what's going on in your life at this very moment. It does not matter. God is bigger, greater, larger, stronger than any issue you've got going on in life right now. And you're promised of God. You've got a purpose in God. He's got a plan for your life. You can do whatever you want to do, and ultimately you'll never be happy, joyful, satisfied, content, fulfilled, unless you get in His plan and His purpose. And for many of you, you've said yes to that. You've not only said yes to the concept that He was to be your Savior, and He was the only way that you could get back to God, but you also said yes to the fact that He is Lord and Master, and He calls the shots, and since He created you, He's the best one to direct you. And you've got that promise in God. And if God unveiled His promise, His number one plan, if if He sent His his number one plan into the earth and it went through certain, certain stages, it went through certain issues, it had certain challenges, as I began to read the Christmas story again, it just dawned on me that if God's number one plan was subject to some issues that life will throw at you, how much more will His plan in my life be subject to the same thing? 
I mean, Jesus is my example. And so we've just been dealing with that whole topic. And so the first Sunday, as you'll recall, we talked about the battle that surrounds a promise. Remember what happened when Jesus came into the earth? Everything was was suddenly activated in order to snuff out that promise. The religious system didn't want him. Herod got insecure and fearful. And all of a sudden, everything was mobilized in order to snuff out that promise. All the male children under the age of two were, were killed and It happens every time God sends a promise. When he sent Moses, the deliverer, Pharaoh did the exact same thing. I could take you through the Bible. But more importantly, I could take you through your life. And about the time that God speaks something good to you, a purpose to you, promise to you, oh, I hate to tell you this, but it's true and I can't let it go. All hell gets activated. Well, what they say in the world is all hell breaks loose. That's how they'll tell it to you out there. And it's true. It's true, when you want to love and serve God, all hell breaks loose. Because you become a threat to the powers of darkness. You become a threat to the enemy's plan and what the enemy wants to do. You are now threatening to him. You know, and oftentimes I've said this, the reason your heathen, pagan neighbors don't seem to face what you face is because they're no threat. See, you are. So so you've got to understand there's a battle that's going on. Secondly, I mentioned to you that there was an unfolding that took place. To this promise. Jesus didn't just blast out of the clouds and, you know, he, he comes in the fullness of the glory of the Godhead and just jumps out into the earth and he says, here I am world, turn or burn. You know, that isn't how he did it, is it? But he came as a little baby. He grew up amongst us. He began to, to walk through certain things and, and, and that promise unfolded. It blossomed. Isaiah said it would come up as a, as a, as a, as a flower, as a root out of dry ground. He, he said it would blossom before us. And so we talked about how your promise in God just doesn't blast in out of the clouds one day and show up. I mean, it's going to unfold. It's going to blossom. God's going to do it unconventionally, paradoxically at times as well. There are going to be aspects of that promise that seem absolutely contrary to the law of man and the way it works in the world. But that's how God brings it to pass. So you might know it's him and not you. Last week we talked about how the, how the promise of God and the purpose of God contains life. Everyone say life. John chapter 1. I'm going to read that passage here in just a moment again. But the Bible says that in him was life. And life isn't just biologically existing. It's not just, it's just not doing the things of life like going to school or going to work or raising your family. It's not breathing and eating and existing. I mean, there's so many people that do all of these things, but there's no life. Bible, when the Bible says life, what it means is it means a quality of existence. There is a, there is a, a distinguishing difference as to how, how God works and lives in you. It, there's a difference to how you view life. There's a difference to how you perceive things. There's just a difference to your overall demeanor. There should be joy. There should be peace. We talk about these concepts. There should be contentment and fulfillment. And, and really my word to you last week was this, that if, if you're not in Him, the Bible says there's no life because life comes in Him. And so if you're not feeling life, maybe you need to check the pulse and see if you're still in Him. I, I don't, don't get your doctrine. I, I, I can see some of you, your doctrine's whizzing right now. That's your problem. You're so worried about your doctrine and you need to get back to your relationship and get in Him. But the interesting thing about what this brings us to now is is that once life enters into 
into a born-again believer, once life comes into us, the Bible says something else begins to happen. And that something else is what we'll call today light. Light. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to read some verses with me. In fact, let's turn, I think, to the book of Matthew. And I just want to read a couple passages of the Christmas account so you can begin to see the place of light when God's promise and his purpose begins to unfold. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. Most of you know the Christmas story so well, you'll be able to remember all that precedes it and all that comes after it. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So what does it say here? It says, we saw light. We saw this star. We've seen light, a unique light. It's a different light. It's not the same kind of light like other lights because these men were schooled in the stars and they understood astronomy. And something about this light caught their attention. It was a little bit different. He says, we've seen this star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. You'll need to keep that in mind as well, because anytime you begin to demonstrate light, you're going to trouble some people. But you never thought about that. How if you've got the light of God working in you and somebody doesn't particularly appreciate you, maybe it's not so much you or your personality, but maybe it's that light that's in you that's troubling them. Jump over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. I just want to read two verses here. Luke 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord. Now, in the Greek they use the term, well, one of two terms, they either use doxa, which is glory, or sometimes they use the word shekinah, which is that striking radiance of God. But the key to it all is, is there was light. They're just watching their sheep out there. They're just doing what they do. And these angels show up and light shows up. And when this light shows up, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel goes into the good news of what's taking place there in Bethlehem. And then turn over to John's Gospel, chapter 1. And let me just read those opening words that we started with last week. It says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Verse 4, in Him, everyone say in Him. Now hear me, hear me now. If you you don't stay in Him, the rest of this won't ever happen. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And so I want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning on what I've entitled, The Light Your Purpose Produces. The Light Your Purpose Produces. If I were to take the time and go through all of the scriptures that 
are recorded in our Bible concerning the concept of light, we would be here, well, we'd be here much longer than you'd want to be here, and we could literally spend weeks, if not months, talking about the concept of light. All around the birth of Jesus, you find this concept of light. He was light. He came into a dark world, the Bible says, and he brought light. It says, in him was the light. He declares himself to be the light of the world. The Bible says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and his blood will cleanse us from all sin. So over and over again, we see these concepts begin to blossom out of the scripture of of light and all that light means. But the point that struck me as I was reading this and was preparing just for these weeks there in John chapter 1 was the concept that it says in him was life and that life was the light of men. All right, I want you to repeat after me. These are so important. Everyone say, life Life produces produces light. light. One more time. Life Life produces produces light. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Remember all that I've said up to this point. I've said that God's got a promise and a purpose for you, and if you've embraced that, if you've embraced God's will for your life, and you're functioning in that, there should be life in that thing. It produces life in you. It produces a joy a contentment, all those things. And when that life is moving inside of you, the scripture then begins to tell us that when that life moves, there's a light that begins to come with it. And I started to think about this and I thought, how how really as a whole, and again, I'm I'm not picking on an individual because I'm sure there's individuals out there, but I was just thinking as a whole, how poorly we do at times demonstrating light. Jesus, Jesus said that, that we were to be light. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open it up to Matthew chapter 5, because this is a verse everyone will know. Matthew chapter 5, this is what he says right here, concerning what you're to do. Matthew five fourteen. He says, you, everyone say, that's me, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now think about this for just a minute. If, 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 if purpose produces life, then life produces light, and therefore light begins to attract the world to the quality of of existence you have in Jesus Christ. If all that be true, then let's take it backwards. If there's no light, then there can be no life. And if there's no life, then there's no purpose. Exactly, purpose or promise. And if there's no promise, that means you're not in Him. And it's very, very important because God very much wants us to be light in this Dark world. He wants us to be light in this dark place. And when the purposes of God begin to unfold in your life, you're going to find that that joy and that peace, that fulfillment and that contentment, all of those wonderful intangibles that we never think much about until we need them. In fact, can I just share this with you? The most amazing thing. Anybody see this week? I'm just asking a silly question because I know everybody saw it. You can't miss it. The moment you open up the front page of your web, of your, of your internet webpage, you'll see it there. You, you see Rosie and Donald going after it? Isn't that, isn't that just like two adults right there? You know what's amazing to me? You can be a gajillionaire. I mean, you can have more money than you could spend in 50 lifetimes. 
And there's still something that can be activated inside of you that can cause you to be out of control, irritated, say stupid things, be gigged, have no peace, just just lose all those wonderful in, internal things that need to go on. I mean, I, can I just say it one more time? You can, you can fill your bank accounts up. You can do all that. Nothing wrong with that. God wants to prosper you. You've heard me talk about these things. But ultimately, it's not that stuff that brings you to the place of joy. It's not that stuff that brings you to the place of peace. It's not that stuff that brings you to the place of contentment. I think it was Rockefeller they asked one time. They said, how much money will it take for you to be happy? And he said, just a little more. You've got to understand that there's a greater... A, a, a greater joy, a greater peace that can begin to exist in your life. And it doesn't matter what your portfolio says. It doesn't matter how many stocks you own or what your net worth is all about. Nor does it matter if you have very little in life and you're just scraping it by from paycheck to paycheck. It just doesn't matter. If you embrace his purpose and you begin to find the life of God in that, and out of that life, light begins to be demonstrated, people will be attracted to that. You'll, you'll, be, you'll begin to see people from all over say, what is there about you that seems to be different? What is there about you that, that, that seems to defy what you're facing? What is there? And that's the light of God. Now, before I can get to the light, I, I think it'd be good if we understood what darkness meant. You know, there's an old saying that says, don't be afraid of the dark. You know, one of people's greatest phobias is, is darkness. Is it not interesting if you were to go to the movie theater or watch a movie on, on television or something and, and they're wanting to frighten you or in some way instill fear into you. Isn't that interesting? That always happens at night. I, I mean, you can think of all the flicks you've seen through your life that were scary moments and odds are that somehow or another it happened at night because there's something about the nighttime that, that can solicit fear. There's something about the darkness that can solicit unrighteous things. And the Bible uses that analogy in order to communicate to us some things that, that the light comes in order to deal with. Now, so let's talk what darkness means in the scripture first. In John 3.19, it says that men loved the darkness. It says they love the darkness. That's amazing. You know what's interesting to me is that if you were to go to the seedy part of Charleston, and I'm not exactly sure where all that is. Some of you have lived here a long time. Not that you've ever been there, no, 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 so I, I understand. You've never been there, you've just heard. Um, but if you were to go to the seedy places of Charleston, it's interesting that if you were to drive down those seedy streets during the day, you know, probably you, wouldn't, you might feel a little uncomfortable, you, 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 you might not like it, but you would drive through it. But I'm here to tell you, at night, you would not be caught there. You just wouldn't be, because there's something about the night, the darkness, that brings out the worst. And so... So let's understand a couple of things about what darkness means. Flash it on the screen, guys, about w w understanding the meaning of darkness. What does it represent? Number one, the Bible tells us that when we read the term darkness, it represents ignorance. Darkness represents ignorance. It represents that people's minds are darkened. They don't understand. They don't get it. It's interesting. It, it, it's interesting to me that when you begin to work with people, talk with people, counsel with people, that you can share with them truth, you can share with them wisdom, experience, and all sorts of things. And at times, there's just this over their eyes. You can see it over their eyes. They don't get it. It's, it's like there's this veil. And the Bible says that veil is actually a darkness. For those of you that 
that can drive, and there may be some here that still can't, but if you drive at night, you know how difficult it is to see very far? I mean, there's there's just a covering. You can't get perspective. You can't get understanding. And so ignorance... Is, is one of the images that darkness begins to uh, illustrate to us. Secondly, evil. The Bible says that when darkness is used, it represents evil. Scripture says that we're not to be sons of the night or sons of the darkness, but we're to be rather children of the day. And so whenever darkness or night shows up, it's indicating evil deeds, evil things, things that are unspeakable at times that happen at night. It's amazing. Most shootings occur when? I mean, most robberies occur when? At night. I could go down the list. When when do you fuss with your spouse? There you go, at night. I mean, I could could go on and on. At night. Nighttime seems to be that, even in the natural, that time period where we just enter into all sorts of things that are unrighteous and and evil. And then the third thing darkness represents is being self-consumed. Many people don't think about this one, but, you know, the Bible tells us that, that hell, for those that refuse to yield to the lordship of Jesus Christ, that hell is a place, it's, it's an interesting paradox. There, there's fire, the scripture tells us, but at the same time it says there's darkness, utter blackness. And, and it's, it's an enigma, it's a mystery. The fire, of course, represents that which brings torment and, and ultimate satisfaction uh, to uh, the sinful life that was demonstrated, but the darkness sometimes is confusing, and many people don't understand why there would be darkness. But if you understand the essence of what sin is, sin at its very essence is selfishness. It is self-consumption. It is, it is I want what I want when I want it. Sin isn't, just, sin isn't just doing things that God doesn't want you to do. It's not just so easily codified into a certain list of, of ten things, let's say. But sin is at its root. When I want what I want, no one's going to tell me anything, including God. I want what I want. And so what happens is, is that when you live a life that way, and then it's time for you to meet God, what God says is this. He says, your whole life, you wanted it your way. You wanted to do what you wanted, when you wanted, how you wanted. You were the center of your own universe. You were self-consumed, selfish. All you thought about was self, so I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you into eternity in utter blackness so you can be with you. That's how you always wanted. You wanted you to be the center of everything, so now you get you. And can I just say, that's hell. But darkness is what is represented by that. And the good news is, is that we can bring a light to the situation. And we can begin to understand that God doesn't want you to live in darkness. He doesn't want you to demonstrate darkness. As a matter of fact, darkness is hostile to the light. And light is hostile to the darkness. Um, let's talk about the power of light here for just a moment. There is power in the light that flows from the life of God. And if you understand the connectedness of all of this, you begin to understand why it's so important you need to be in the plan and the purposes of God. Because when you embrace His purpose for your life and that life comes, light is demonstrated, you begin to dispel darkness all around you. And I want to share with you just a couple quick things that light does. What Jesus did is He brought the light into the earth and what in turn you do with Him living inside of you that can begin to make a real difference. Let's talk about it. Number one, what light does. The first thing light brings is dominion. You know, in that first chapter of John that I read to you, verse 5, it says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
How many of you have a, I know some of you have the same Bible I do. How many of you use that spirit-filled life Bible like I use? I mean, I, all right, I think it's the one Paul wrote, so just to let you know, that's, you might want to pick that up. Um, but they put these little word wealths in there, which are really great. And one of the word wealths says this, I'm just going to read it to you. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And it's, and it's defining or it's showing the etymology with regards to that word comprehend. And it says this, it could read, the darkness does not gain control of it. The darkness does not gain control of it. It also says that comprehend means that the darkness could not quench, could not extinguish, could not snuff out the light by stifling it. The darkness will never be able to eliminate it. You know, I always find this interesting, and, and maybe it's just the way my mind works and the way I think, but a lot of times science will make discoveries, or at least they can discover the little bit they can discover up to this point. And, and let me just say this, that science can only tell you what it knows up to this point. It can't tell you what it doesn't know yet. Are you with me? So in other words, there may be some information that they don't have understanding, it hasn't been revealed, it hasn't been uncovered. And so don't you think for a minute that somehow science always trumps your faith. Because science doesn't have all the answers. God says he speaks the end from the beginning. In other words, he tells you the outcome before you ever walk through it or understand it. So that's why I just soon believe this than believe what science, because science will change its mind on us. I mean, it, it said Pluto was a planet, now it says it's not a planet. I mean, I mean, it just wrecked all those mobiles that I did growing up in school. I mean, it is messed. I mean, we've messed up children now for decades that have thought Pluto was that. But it's not a planet anymore. You say, how did that happen? Well, a group of guys got together. They talked about it. They said, eh, we were wrong. No more planet. <laughs> well, you know, one of these days they'll all get along and they'll go, eh, I guess we didn't come from monkeys. Eh, I guess we didn't crawl out of a quagmire. I mean, I know, I, but I know, I know that challenges so many people's mindsets. But you go ahead and you believe that science has all answers and you'll continue to demonstrate darkness because I'm just telling you that's not where life is. Life is in the purpose of God and the plan of God and life begins to be demonstrated. But the light exercises dominion, dominion. You remember years ago when the original trilogy of Star Wars came out and everybody went, you remember that? I heard a little voice there that said, yeah. Boy, you were young. I guarantee you, you were young. I, I can remember going, and everybody will know, everybody will know all these terminologies. Remember, the, may the force be... See, y'all remember that, don't you? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Can't remember a Bible verse, but you'll remember the force is with you. <laughs> remember that whole deal? There was, there was the dark side of the force. Dun, 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 dun. And then there was the, the, the light side of the force, or the good side of the force. And, and many people don't realize this, and I know you won't care ten minutes after you walk out of here. But that actually came, you know, that whole concept of Star Wars and how that work came from Persian philosophy that, that's called Zoroastrianism, which believes, it believes that there's, there's, there's a good force and a bad force, or a force of light and a force of darkness. But the key to that whole philosophy is, is that both are equal. Both have the same amount of power. And whoever wins, wins because you or I choose to step into that particular flow or force. 
So we're actually the determiner, according to that philosophy, as to who ultimately wins in the earth. And if you'll watch the old Star Wars stuff, it's interesting because there's this whole tension that surrounds Luke Skywalker and here's his dad who, uh, you know, is Darth Vader and which side is he going to go to? Is he going to flip? Is he, what's, what's going to happen? And all of us are on pins and needles because the key to the universe and who's going to control it is in the hands of one young man named Luke Skywalker and what sides he's going to, he's going to choose because that side's going to determine the whole outcome of which, of which force will ultimately win. Well, can I just say that's, This is not in question. There is, there, is, there is no holding of the universal breath as to who's going to ultimately win in the end. There's not some sense of, 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 of anxiety or worry or, 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 or some, you know, some sort of feeling of what's, how it's all going to work out or how it's all going to shake out. I'm telling you, the light wins. God wins. It, the darkness cannot hold it. Scientists tell us that, that black holes exist, and if light goes into a black hole, that the darkness actually consumes it. That's why it's a black hole. I know little about scientific theory. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not true, but I'll tell you this. The light that emanates from God cannot be quenched by your black hole. You need to understand, it, it breaks through. It exercises dominion. The life of God produces the light of God. So instantly when you walk into a situation, the light that comes from Him that's in you begins to exercise dominion in your circumstance. That's why those words are in the Bible that says we are more than what? We triumph in all things, in Him. Greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. We could go down through all these verses. Why are they in the Bible? Why Just sort of to dangle a carrot in front of us? No. It's that light. That light cannot be extinguished. So, dominion, number two. It dispels. When light comes into a situation, it instantly dispels darkness. It evaporates chaos and disorder. In Genesis chapter 1, when God created the heavens and the earth, and He said, let there be light, the Bible tells us that before that light came into the situation, it says that the world was chaotic. It was formless. It was void. Have you ever walked into a chaotic situation and wondered how order was going to be brought to the whole thing? The Bible tells us that light, when light gets shed in the midst of all of that, when revelation comes, when truth is applied, when it begins to be implemented, it instantly brings order to that whole situation. And it dispels the chaos. Number three. Go ahead and go to number three, guys. Dun, 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 dun. Okay.